And we welcome along our vet, Dr. Robert Stabler. Hello, Dr. Bob. How are you today? Good. Not too bad. Now, you have a very interesting topic for us. Yes, we're going to talk about urine marking. Okay. It happens with the dogs and the cats, the doggies and the moggies? Well, all animals, really. We'll find out more about that as we chat during Pet Chat. And also, Daniel Carrington. Hello and welcome. G'day. Welcome back to you. Thank you. You've got a very special guest joining us today. We do. Melissa Dean, who's our resident dog expert. And we're going to talk about Australian Shepherds. It's a great breed. An Australian Shepherd. You know, you've got German Shepherds. Shepherds, well, we've got our very own Australian Shepherd. Is that actually a fact, Melissa? Thank you for joining us. Hello, how are you? Good, thank you. That's good. Australian Shepherds. Yes, which Ma- aren't, in fact, an Australian breed. They're not. The name. No, they're not. They're an American breed. Why did they call them an Australian Shepherd then rather than an American Shepherd? Well, popular, popular belief um, has it that they came over with Merino sheep. Yes. Um, and were originated from the foundation stock that were in Australia. Um, but that's, a, that's at a stretch. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> well, at least they hold the, have the Australian name. I think that's a great idea. Well, they do. They do have the Australian name. Now, tell us what they look like. They, they're a little bigger than a Border Collie. I had to get that name in there somewhere. Of course um, you did, yes. Uh, yes, of course I did. Um, they're a working dog, so they're in the same group as my breed. Um, they have a, a medium to long coat um, in a huge variety of colours. What are, what are the colours? Uh, they have a black tri, you can have a red tri, uh, you can have blue merle, um, red merle, you can have black bicolours. It goes on and on and on. Okay. Now, we, we touched a little bit about the history of the breed, but can you tell us more and what it was bred to do? Sure. They, um, they, they trace back as far as the early 1800s, um, and they were developed on the ranches in western United States. Um, the, the stockmen that worked the ranges in the western United States prized them for their versatility and their trainability on stock. Uh, and they're still used in that aspect today. So in in regards to that, do we use them for that purpose here in Australia as well? Some some breeders do. There are some breeders that are using them for that purpose, but they actually have become a very popular show dog of choice and they excel in agility and obedience as well. Okay, so does that mean they're smart? They're very smart. Not as smart as a Border Collie, but they're smart. <laughs> now, uh, if everyone's wondering, Border Collie, Border Collie, why Melissa keeps on talking about Border Collie, well, that's Melissa's favourite breed, which she actually breeds, Border yes, Collies. Yes, it is. Yes. I prefer an Australian Shepherd. Oh, well, see, you can't, you have Weimaranas, you have no taste. <laughs> <laughs> oh, thank you very much for that, Melissa. Now, what, what health problems could be common to the breed in the Australian Shepherd breed? They're a relatively healthy breed, so um, there aren't many health problems that will raise their head with the Australian Shepherd. They say, like, they do have some hip problems, being a very agile breed. Um, responsible breeders um, do hip scoring, so they know what the, the um, scores are for the hips and they will only breed with low stock. Um, but one thing that they do have is a sensitivity, uh, uh, it's called MDR1, which is a multiple drug resistance, and they can be very sensitive to a drug like ivermectin, um, but you can test for that as well. Okay. Where would ivermectin be used then? Uh, you would use ivermectin in flea treatment, um, 
and worming treatments. Mm-hmm. Okay. Um, so you you do have to be a little bit careful, and and it would be worse if you were interested in an Australian Shepherd and you decided to get one. I would certainly be asking the breeder if they tested for MDR one. Okay. Yes. In terms of if someone is interested in an Australian Shepherd, what type of families would suit an Australian Shepherd? They're known as the clowns of the working dog group. So they're highly intelligent, but they have a very, very strong play instinct as well. I would only ever recommend them for do a they, family. Do, do they juggle, do they? Yes, they do. Okay. And they dress up in clown makeup. Absolutely. <laughs> the one I show does. No. <laughs> they, they, I would only recommend them for a very, very active family or a very active single person, um, someone who's willing to train the dog and spend a lot of time with the dog. They're not a dog you could just leave in the backyard. So you also mentioned that the the length of their coat or is medium to long. So does that mean there's a lot of maintenance? It's it's a fairly easy coat to maintain because it is a double coat. So you have the short undercoat, um, which is the weather-resistant coat, and then you have the longer um, coat on the top. They will drop that undercoat. So when they are dropping that coat and they're leaving hairballs all over your house, you need to get that out and they need to be groomed really regularly. Um, but a bath once a fortnight and, you know, a good groom once a week should be enough for an Australian Shepherd. Okay. And there was a, one of the Australian Shepherds here in Australia actually won a, a significant award at the Royal this year, didn't they? He certainly did. He's only actually been... His name's Trigger. He's only actually been in the country. Uh, he was imported from America uh, about... 12 months ago, I think, mm-hmm. he came down, he lives in Queensland, he came down to compete at the Sydney Royal, um, there were over 100 Australian Shepherds competing, he won the breed, he then went on to win the Working Dog Group, and then he went on to win runner-up in show, which wow. is at Sydney Royal the highest award an Australian Shepherd's ever won, which wow. is phenomenal. I also remember a few years back, one um, uh, an Australian Shepherd won Crufts as well in, that's in right. the UK. Yeah. Yes, that's right. Um, and last year, an Australian Shepherd, uh, a New South Wales-born Australian Shepherd won Best in Show at Brisbane Royal. So yeah. although they're a reasonably new breed to Australia in terms of dog breeds, um, they're highly successful in the show ring. Melissa, as always, thank you very much for your time and for that information on the Australian Shepherd Dog. My pleasure, any time. And joining us right now to talk to our vet, Dr Bob, is Bill from Glendale. Hello, Bill, how are you? Oh, pretty good, yourself? Yeah, we're going great. How can we help you, Bill? I've got a 12-month-old, very active German Shepherd, about 42 kilos in weight. Yep. Um, when he gets uh, overexcited, he tends to gulp a lot of air. And after he's calmed down a bit, he tends to burp a bit more than usual. Yep. I was wondering if there's an issue with that or whether it's something I'm worrying about. Nothing. I would um, take him down to your regular vet to get a health check just to make sure. He'd probably be coming up for his um, annual vaccination. They can get into some obsessive behaviour, so if you can, try and interrupt it. If he's playing games, then just sort of change it. But it sounds like there might be a, a structural or a... Um, or some sort of an issue in the stomach or esophagus. So the other option would be to put him on some probiotics just to help to get back to a normal flora. 
Um, but yeah, if you can, if it's something he does when he plays or he gets jumps around or welcome, welcomes people, then just um, settle him, hug him to your side, long, slow stroke to help him to, to settle down. But yeah, I would get that checked out, Bill. It might be something not very good. Well, it doesn't seem to affect him when he's eating or drinking. He doesn't seem to bring anything up or like that. It's only just Good. minutely I, I can see the change, feel the change in his breathing. Yep. And, and he just kind of burps a little bit, and then once he's done that, he's all right. He's fine. Yeah, it just sounds like he gets a bit overexcited and has an interesting way of coping with it, like we all do. So just try and help him to be a bit more settled when you can. But I'd certainly get him down for a, a vet check, Bill. Good on you, Bill. Thank you for the call. Let's make our way to Charm Haven. Sue's waiting patiently there for you, Dr. Bob. Sue, how can I help you? Yeah, look, I was just wondering if you could tell me, please. We've got a dog that absolutely loves going to the beach. Um, he just dives in uh, to the first wave that comes along. Yep. Um, I was just wondering what would be the best way if he get sand in his ears or uh, from for, from the wave or um, how would you know that he's got sand in his ears? You could ask him, but he can't hear you because he's got <laughs> sand in his ears. Sorry, no. Um, just he can actually flush them out with an ear cleaner when you get back. The other important thing with dogs and beach and sand is um, just to rinse out the coat at the beach so that you um, wash, wash out any if he's been in the lake down there um, or the, the ocean water. That can actually have some little insects in it that might make him a little bit irritated. Um, the other thing, you've got to be careful they don't drink too much water because that can give them some diarrhoea on the way home. So always take them for a bit of a walk before you put them in the car. But with the ears, mostly if you um, have a look on YouTube and actually Google how a dog shakes, you'll actually see this amazing centrifugal force, which as they shake, it goes from the head through the shoulders to the back to the rump. And it really does shake an awesome amount of water off. As you know, when you bath a dog, you get covered in it. So, And that partly helps the, the sand to come out of the, out of the coat and out of the ears. But generally, yeah, it's really good fun. Just make sure you don't let him get too carried away and, and either um, bully other smaller dogs as they sort of head towards the water and say, let's come in here. But mostly, if he's having a great time, that's really good. Great environmental enrichment. Good on you, Sue. Thank you for giving us a call. And Gail joins us now from Charlestown. Gail, how can we help you? Oh, hi. Um, I have a Ridgie, and he's about 15 months old, and he has a car saviour. Yep. So I'm just wondering, I've got him partway in the back of the car with treats, but as soon as I go to get out, he'll jump out. So I'm just wondering, is that the process or is there anything else I can do? Ridgebacks are very sensitive creatures, so is there anything else that he's a bit um, anxious about? Noises um, or vacuum cleaner? Uh, yeah, <laughs> yes, vacuum cleaner, the broom. Yep. He's very attached to me, it's yep. just the two of us, and... Um, yeah, he, he is a little bit, I wouldn't say sooky, but he is a bit, he's very sensitive. Yeah. Um, the important thing is to take it really gradually. The problem is we all want to go really quickly and we want it to happen tomorrow. I had a lady who um, bought a Labrador and she was going to go touring around Australia um, in, a, in a van with the dog, but um, because it was a, a rescue type dog, it actually took her a year and a half to get it used to the car and the van. So the holiday was delayed, but... Um, very important to, as you've done, just um, walk it round the car, give it treats. If it's not taking the treats, you know that it's either more roused or more anxious. So oh. just long, slow strokes, talk to it, calm, control, teach your voice. 
and then if it wants to get up in the car, toss some treats in the car and it can wander in and then get out. And so yeah. alternating that, then you sit in with it and gets out, gets in, um, front seat, back seat, um, back of the car if it's a station wagon. Just very gently playing music that you like, the music that helps you to be calm, helps the animal to be calm. Okay. So put the radio on, of course, on your favourite channel. And um, then just helping it to be really relaxed. If you can, then close the door, open the door again. So it is very step-by-step, very slowly, and only when they're ready. Don't push them too far too quick. And so it's, yeah, don't start the car. Don't You can try washing uh, the windscreen wipers, um, blinkers, other things, because when you think about it, there's a whole range of different sounds they're getting used to, but it is yeah. an indicator there's going to be other anxiety issues. So always yeah. just take it slowly, security blanket, Adaptol, a spray pheromone that helps them to be a bit more relaxed also helps. I was going to get some of that, yeah. Yeah, it's really good. Just spray it on a scarf, put it around its neck. And it was actually originally um, synthesised for that very purpose for car sickness. So it's just very gently walking it around the car, plus walking it around other cars so it gets used to different vehicles. But, yeah, at 15 months, if it's already showing signs like that, then you need to take it very slowly and help him to... uh, gradually get used to this scary world we live in. Okay, that's good. Yep, sounds like uh, taking it easy, that is the key. It really is very important and often we want to do things too quickly and and fear, I have a bit of anxiety and depression and panic attacks, so I know what it's like. Your topic today is urine marking. It is. um, Dogs, cats, foxes, possums. Uh, My kids used to get really embarrassed when we'd uh, pull up at a car park and I'd get out of the car and and smell all the tomcat urine over the particular bushes just near where the car was parked. Say, oh, look, they all come down this track, then the other ones come down from that side, and they're all trying to mark their territory on the highest object, so the bush or a rock or a pole. Those people with little garden or uh, gardens around their post box on the front of their yard, classic. They always get well watered, so they're really helping the animals in that way. Corner blocks are also more well watered by animals passing by. And it is interspecies competition. So it's possums, dogs, cats, foxes. And so they're all trying to be really tough. Blokes in a pub on a Friday night, really. It's just, you know, not quite sure what it demonstrates, but it is that they're marking territory. This is mine. The other animals, when they're smelling that, are actually picking up on this huge range of pheromones, what that animal is like. Is it male, female, desexed or not? Uh, Prostate problems. Whoops, had some nasty curry last night. They're actually picking up on an amazing array uh, of chemicals and they have an incredible um, uh, memory for all those things. So they actually remember all the different animals that have been there. If they're a bit stressed, you'll find that, um, like our Rhodesian Ridgeback that we are just talking about, some animals that are really scared won't mark territory outside the house. They'll only do it in their yard because they don't want to tell everybody what they're like or who they are. Is there anything we can do around, say, around our house or our yep. property where we don't want this horrible smell, this marking? Is there something we can spray or put there that will deter them from doing that? The problem is whatever we put on it is not going to cover up the smell from a dog's point of view. It will cover it up for our nose and our ability to smell something, but not for the dog or the cat. So you can put, um, we had on radio a few months ago, wasn't it, mothballs? Yeah. Sometimes deter other cats. Um, uh, lemon or orange or grapefruit peels sometimes again deter other animals. There, there are deterrents available. Yeah. They don't necessarily work for all dogs or no. all cats. Yeah, it depends on the motivation. It, it does, yes. Of the animal. And so sometimes they just often they have enzymes in them that help to break down some of the protein. 
The other thing is just rinsing it off with lots of, of water, keep the front yard hose down. But it is a very strong motivation. When it's house soiling inside, cat's urine marking, it's often towards the window or door where they can see the other animals outside. So that's where you put a litter tray, scratching posts, so it can mark territory with the scent glands underneath their feet. And that's why um, dogs, some that are a little bit pushy, um, our smaller terrier breeds, will actually scratch the ground after they do a wee or a poo. Because they're just putting a signpost, come and smell this, this is really good, and this is who I am, and I'm really tough, so I wouldn't <laughs> mess with me all, you know, 12 inches of it. <laughs> sorry, sorry, um, 30 centimetres of it. Hello, Brenda from Charlestown. Hello, young Dave. How are you? I'm going great, and I've got our vet here for you, Dr. Robert. Okay. Hi, Dr. Robert. Hello, Brenda. How can I help you? Oh, we've got an 11-year-old D6 female Moggy. Yep. We love her to pieces, but she's a bit exasperating. We've had her since she was about 12 months old. She was a rescue. Yep. And lately, um, she's been doing in- inappropriate piddling, weeing, whatever, um, on a table in our rumpus room. Now, it's nowhere near windows. We do have a plastic tablecloth of, on it um, because, you know, she doesn't do it every day. But um, we'll think she's stopped for a while. Then a week later, she'll wee on it. And, and if there's papers or anything on it, you know, they get wet and we um, and is it the table, what to do with her. Is it the table you usually use for no, meals no, or anything? Just to... No, it's just down in the rumpus room and it's just, you know, got stuff on it, if you know what I mean. And was it an old table from somewhere else or was um, it... Well, we've had it um, for many, many years. It's sort of not new furniture to her. And she's only just started doing it in the well, last... Well, she sort of has done it before several months ago, just at odd times. But yep. in the last few weeks, it's been not... You know, every couple of um, nights. Yep. And she stopped doing it but now. Um, but um, the other night she was in um, the bedroom where we've got off the rumpus room and um, she loves sleeping on suitcases. She sleeps on all sorts of weird things. Yep. And there was some um, clothes on this suitcase. Well, she weed on, on them. Yeah. And and, uh, and she's sorry. not um, weeing on a bed or anything like that? No, she's using well, a we don't have to get on, on the beds. Yeah. Um, but um, she would if, if we let her. Yeah. At, at 11 years of age, sometimes there can be a deterioration in the brain where they are not able to actually remember where they are or what they're doing. So um, just be really careful about um, the smells that are near that. It you might be better to cover it up with uh, something or um, put something around it so it can't um, get, yeah, get, have a, the cat can't have access to it. So even maybe putting it in a different area. When they're focused on a particular object like that, it can be that that object has a smell that either they don't like or it's a smell that they like and it's familiar and that they want to keep marking that area. Put other litter trays around that spot so that they uh, have access. She has access to that as soon as she thinks about anything or goes to jump up or jumps down. And just maybe keeping her isolated from that area in the house if possible also, just lots of other enrichment and play. Even though she's 11, she can still be enjoying play and having fun. So that might hopefully dissipate some of the stress she's feeling. Hello, Shane. How are you doing today? I'm well. How are you? How can we help you, Shane? Mate, I've got a um, 15-year-old um, small Jack Russell. Yep. Um, he's a great little dog, but um, being 15, he's got a bit senile. Yes. He, um, he barks continuously in the morning, um, and I live in a, live in a fairly... Small neighbourhood. Yep. Um, so he barks continuously in the morning until we let him in so he can sit on his cushion inside. Yep. 
But once he comes inside, he'll only sit in his cushion for a couple of minutes and then he'll want to get back and go back outside again. Yeah, so... Um, and this happens in the afternoon as well. He'll bark in the afternoon yep. until he gets let in and puts on, gets put on his cushion. Yep. But then he's only sitting on his cushion for 10 or 15 minutes and then he's up again wanting to go back out. And that's partly his brain just not functioning well. It, it actually forgets what it's doing. So the important thing is to keep him busy with exercise, just as the same as us, we have to exercise our body and our brain as we get older so little short walks when he comes in just give him some treats so he sits on the 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 cushion for a while provide another cushion outside some other little toys even though he's 15 he might being a jack russell probably will um, love to play and chase things still so just really important to accept that this is the way his brain's going there are some things your vet can recommend to help him with that age thing Certainly what we're seeing a lot with the cold weather is osteoarthritis. Good on you, Shane. Yes, we've got Jim joining us now. Jim, how can I help you? Yeah, good on, mate. Um, mate, I've got a uh, blue scabby, uh, American Staffordshire Terrier. Um, she's got uh, like a little bald patch at the back of her tail. I'm just wondering if, whether it be a diet or would it be just a mite that's got into her skin? Um, base of the tail is a classic flea um, infestation area, so I would um, update the flea control and use something that's different uh, that might be a bit stronger, so your regular vet can help you with that, and just make sure there's no other um, sores or anything there, worming, and also check anal glands. And our final call today, joining us from Blacksmiths, hello, Brian. Hello. Brian, how can I help you? Um, mate, I've got a German short-haired pointer. Yep. And he's um, now he's... Three years, um, four months. Yep. But what I'm finding with him lately is um, he's getting very protective of the environment. He's running out. Um, if he's out the back, he'll run. Here's someone or some strange noise. He'll run straight out the front and start barking at him. Yep. Or anything strange, he'll, he's not used to his, his barking all the time. seems to do it more and more and more so. So sometimes at three years of age, they go through a developmental life stage. So it would be important to help him to practice feeling more calm in his environment, keeping him inside away from those outside triggers, maybe leaving a radio on. Um, and just check as well in the local area that there's been no break-ins or anything strange, maybe renovations happening in a house nearby. Often those external neighbourhood noises can upset, especially boys, they're a bit more territorial, a little bit more likely to be protective, pace the fence line, um, do a patrol. So, But if you can, just yeah, keep him busy on other good things, being a GSP, um, strong hunting sort of instinct, so um, hiding his food so he has other things to do and keep his brain busy on that, but always interrupt early with a whistle click and a clap, redirect a treat, toy, bed or on lead. One last question for you before we go. Another really cold night ahead of us tonight and cool morning. What can we do for our dogs and cats? Are they feeling it? They certainly are. Very important to have. I actually was at a place a week or two ago and they had a wonderful little uh, a low platform. They had two plastic kennels, but inside the kennels they had lots of blankets, but on top of the kennels as well they had a, a, some more blankets and canvas. And it was in the corner of the alcove, so it was actually just a wonderful little mm. place to hide for the two big dogs. The problem is we think often we want a big kennel, 
well, that's not very warm. So the smaller the size, the more they can wrap themselves cozy, up, yeah. cosy. Some dogs like to be under blankets. Some prefer to be on top, like the rest of us. <laughs> if you think about it, when there is a smaller kennel, because they're in there generating heat, it heats up a lot quicker. Mm. And I do try and point that out to people. Sometimes and they think, oh, I want a really big yeah, one. Yeah, yeah, no, they've got the whole yard to run around as their normal and, house. And don't forget dog <laughs> coats. Yep. Yes. yes. Get those on there. Yep. Great suggestions. And we'll be back again with Pet Chat next Wednesday. Wonderful. Thanks, Dave. Thank you. There we go. Dr. Robert Stabler joining us and, of course, Daniel Carrington. Pet Chat back next Wednesday from midday here at 2NURFM.